The following message is brought to you by Balsamic. Balsamic have decided to support the SAS District community by donating their sponsored airtime to some of our listeners. This episode is sponsored by ProdCamp, a platform that helps you collect user feedback to build what your customers actually need. With ProdCamp, you get an all-in-one product management tool. From listening to customers' feedback to acting upon it with an easier way to prioritize your work. They're even priced per product for people using the solution, not the number of tracked users. If you'd like to start turning user feedback into more revenue for your SaaS company, sign up today at prodcamp.com. If you'd like to receive a promo code for a 90-day trial of Balsamic, or even just thank the folks at Balsamic for supporting our community, visit balsamic.com slash go slash SaaS district today. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akhil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SAS District. In today's episode, we're back on our special episodes as part of a mini-series for the month, where we interview different team members of a SAS company to learn their expertise as part of their overall business strategy. On today's mini-series of Inside Balsamic, we're going to talk about how to do customer interviews and better wireframe development across different time zones. Today, we have our guests. We actually have two. We have Alberto Forni and Jessica Arenas from Balsamic joining us. So Alberto, we'll start with him. He's a software engineer at Balsamic, where he works on the Balsamic wireframe development. He is passionate about programming, design, user interface, and broadly, he loves everything that has a plug. Um, <laughs> Jessica is a qualitative user experience researcher at Balsamic. Uh, so after 10 years in communication and digital marketing, she found her, her real love in UX research. So now that has become her passion and her job. Welcome, Roberto. Welcome, Jessica. Super excited to have you guys on SAS Strict Show today. Uh, thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you. I killed us. <laughs> uh, thank you for having me. This is exciting. Yeah, let's, let's do it. It should be fun. Um, so we'll start with you know, some questions on your side, uh, Jessica. So we'll talk about customer research, which we, we want to get into, which is... Um, when, we, when people talk think about customer research, it's often an overlooked or maybe do it in an automated method, right? Like they'll have a form pop up um, or some kind of you know little little you know chatbot. Um, maybe businesses are not are not often getting it right to get the details of what really customer thinking. How does maybe Balsamic do customer research differently, and how do you measure the impact it had on on the overall journey? Okay, so at Balsamic we have two types of research goals, like understanding the problem well, the problem we're trying to solve for people, and making sure that the solutions we come up with are right, are, are implemented well, and are working for people. So um, this type of research asks for deep understanding of our users, and we believe that the most effective way of gaining that understanding is doing qualitative research. And Qualitative research is just collecting and analyzing information that is non-numerical. So we're talking about text, videos, audios um, to understand concepts, experiences. And so the methods we currently use are mostly user interviews. We do a lot of observation, usability testing. We also do expert reviews like cognitive walkthroughs, heuristic evaluations, Sometimes we do service, but 
um, and competitive analysis, but not that much. Those are very rare occasions. And um, yeah, we have a completely people-first approach to research. And so far, this has been a reliable source of insights for product development. Um, we don't measure the impact of these efforts. <laughs> we don't measure mm. anything, really. <laughs> uh, but the signs are, are there, right? I mean, our team is aligned. People make decisions with confidence and the audience we decide to support with our product, the artists we decided to support with our product are happy. And so what we're looking for or what we're aiming for is for confidence, for clarity, uh, for our developers and our PMs to make decisions every day. And yeah, I think we're on the right path <laughs> there. And just a quick follow-up question on that. I mean, uh, how often are you doing these? I mean, are you doing, you know, one a day? Are you doing, you know, five a day? Or is it kind of sporadic? Uh, at what point in the, like in the journey, is this when they first sign up or you know, is it a year down the line? Does it depend on, you know, if it's a power user or somebody who's just started? Um, and then my other question on that is, yeah, I mean, you know, how do you decide, you know, who's the right person that you want to interview? Yeah. Okay. So about the pace, uh, the thing has uh, evolved and fluctuated because of the pandemics and stuff, but we aim to do at least five interviews per week. Mm -hmm. And then we have time to create reports, to socialize the results. And it gives me also a lot of time. I have a lot of time to think about my practice and how to make it better. And we have a lot of room for improvement and, and I have a lot of time to think about it. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, so... Um, I try to tailor, like we have an approach that is very um, ad hoc to the project, right? So if we have, uh, for example, recently Alberto um, developed a new feature called, called nested symbols. And so we decided to do a broad research on that. And so we start with discovery, talking in this case to power users. So the type of project that you are going to work for tells you what type of users you are going to interview, right? And so... This is a future a feature for advanced users, and so we were we we target those, and those are the moments when we apply service to screen the participants that are going to be part of the research, and then there's another type of research that we want to do. Um, we started doing recently. I'll say I started last week, which is continuous research, and it is just. Um, not way for the project to, you know, people work on sprints and then if you start doing research uh, with the sprint, you're already late. So what I'm trying to do is to start before or even completely disconnect that in a different track. So I'll do con continuous research. I do research all the time. And when people need an information, I probably will have already um, gathered that information. And so for that type of research, we talk to everyone, people that is just that has just um, started with the tool, people that has 10 years with the tool and everything in between. Got it. Understood. Cool. Um, and Alberto, so, you know, question over to you. So you work on the development team. Um, you manage, you know, the whole kind of development side. What are some strategies maybe you use? We're talking about, you know, communication. Uh, you know, between, you know, peers and then always, obviously you have to improve the organizational alignment, specifically in remote work, right? You're in, you're based in Italy and then you have teams in the U.S. and then, you know, different time zones. How, how are you kind of managing that? Yeah. Um, 
So Balsamic is a remote first, um, async first, maybe like wiki first, and I'm mm -hmm. going to stop with something first company. Mm -hmm. But um, so the goal, I think, is uh, the idea is that um, everything is is written down in either uh, wireframes or, and or wiki pages, uh, so it's accessible from from anyone at at any time. And uh, the idea is that we align first on on the strategy, so we have a roadmap roadmap meeting in which we plan the work uh, to be done in the next quarter or quarters, and this helps. Uh, getting people on the same page and visualize the company's goals. And then we split the work from an executional point of view. We split the work into, into projects. And for every project, we have a, a process to follow. Well, I, I think it's particular of our uh, organization is that we don't have uh, managers, but instead we have owners in, start, in charge of um, pulling the strings and make sure communication is flowing and uh, people are, are on the same page. And this um, role uh, of owner can be passed along the course of, uh, of, of projects. And so ultimately, there is a shared ownership uh, of, of, of uh, the projects. And in these processes, in this, during these projects, we have specific moments for communication and alignments. So, for instance, we have moments in which we let the project sit and we ask for, for comments. Uh, and, of course, we iterate on those. Uh, and we have also moments for alignment. So we ask for green lights. Uh, so even if some team member hasn't been directly involved in one of the phases of the project, at least he uh, or she can read uh, the the status of the project and can give like the th thumbs up, uh, so we can move to the next phase and everyone is again on the same page. Um, we also have what we call the golden hour, uh, which is like a time in which everyone in the company is connected across a different time zone, and that is the time we use for interactive activities. And I think this is great for, for uh, is, is really good for inclusions because, uh, you know, there are people that are great, uh, give their best uh, with quiet time and reflecting. And there are other people that uh, give their best uh, building on other, uh, on others' uh, ideas and with a more interactive and environment and thinking on their, on their feet. Uh, and yeah, is, so that, is that golden hour uh, on a daily basis? Is that weekly basis? Just to... so the golden hour is mm -hmm. what we call the time frame for 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 me that I'm in Europe is between uh, five p.m. and six p.m. Okay. Uh, we and it's like of course every day, uh, but we don't mm -hmm. necessarily do activities in that time frame. It's just a time frame in which we know that uh, if we want to plan activities, we can. Uh, because everyone is connected. Got it. So, but uh, uh, so, like to summarize, I think the the most important thing is to write everything down and give time for for comments and like reserve specific moments for for comments and feedback, uh, and yeah. iterate on those. Right, and, and then just kind of tying back with you know what Jessica is doing and what you guys are doing. So when it comes to you know product roadmap, right? You're using these. Uh, you're, you're trying to develop or think about your product roadmap. You're using 
you know, customer research to help you obviously decide what you want to build out, right? So, um, yeah. you know, if there's this feature that's in demand and people are saying, look, we really want this, um, how do you guys maybe, how, or maybe I don't know who's, you know, the real decision making here, but how do you prioritize and decide, okay, this is what we need to focus on for, for the next quarter, like you said, or, you know, these are the ones that get least, is it based on, you know, the, the volume of the people, you know, of what people are asking, or maybe just a few users you look at, or how do you guys think about that? Um, uh, I think there is a, a bit of both. Uh, so, um, for, for sure. So we have a great support team and we listen, uh, closely to what people say, um, and what our user, what our, what, uh, so the users need. Uh, and so, um, we have, for instance, a list of the most desired features. And so when we have time, we try to um, make user, users happy and uh, pick from those. Mm. Um, and then there are other things that we think are important and or um, are great features. And so we put them in uh, and we then we ask uh, users for, for feedback maybe before uh, pushing them out or uh, we, and this uh, maybe just can, I'll say a bit more. Uh, we ask, uh, we interview users and ask for for their feedback before implementing uh, something like a new feature or something like that. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So um, we try to to make decisions like um, the decision making happens in the roadmap meetings mostly, but. Um, uh, Peldi, who also acts uh, as the company PM, he tries to gather input from everyone, basically, in the company about mm. the, the direction that we want to take in the quarter, let's say. Uh, but this input comes from, as Alberto said, support, which does a great job at bringing the voice of the customer into the development process. And then uh, he also takes um, notice of the um, development resources. We have maybe developers are too busy, etc. But he also has, but he also has this to, um, metaphor, I think, which is kind of like, um, I, I don't know anything about <laughs> levers or cars, but it's something like he, he looks at three types of things, right? Shores, box, and features. And so that's how he prioritizes things. And if a bug is um, is important to solve to improve the, the customer experience, so he prioritizes that. And then if we have everything of those chores and bugs uh, fixed and solved and there's time for a new feature, then we look also at, like, for example, our product is positioned as a product for um, non-designers mm -hmm. or people that is new to design. And so we try to prioritize features that support the needs of those um, users. But we also have a very um, um, rich community of power users that are very loyal to our tool and that help us a lot with um, when we need to test something and they, and they do have their needs and they request features. And so... Sometimes there are, those are very advanced features, but we want to be uh, also there for them and support their needs. So we also mm -hmm. implement some of those features. But um, maybe I rambled too much, but to 
uh, to give you a more concise answer to that question is um, from customer uh, from customer research, what we take out to help healthy prioritize is, of course, getting a deeper understanding of the problems people have. And that helps the team decide what problems we're going to try to solve. And so if there's time, if there's not bugs, if the chores are done, then we have time to do new features. Got it. Okay. And, and you know, coming back to, you know, if we're doing customer research, if I'm, you know, I'm a SaaS company and I'm, start, I'm looking to start implementing this and I have all these users, but I've never done, um, you know, user research or interviewed my customers. Do you have any tips or how you guys do about, you know, starting those conversations? Are you just, you know, picking uh, a list of users and you're just sending out an email saying, hey, I'd like to do some research and do you have some time to chat this week? Or how, how does that look like to, you know, get them engaged and, and interested? That's how we started. Okay. <laughs> That's how we started. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll learn a lot. Uh, and, and so we have some tips uh, that could be helpful. So I think that the most important thing is to start with a clear goal. If you're new to customer research, probably the first thing you want to do is know who your users really are, like, which means going beyond demographics. Uh, because sometimes we just stop at what role, what like age or whatever. Uh, and, and so ideally you will want to go beyond that to really know who are the people that are buying your product that will potentially buy your product. So start with a clear goal. If you're new, start maybe by trying to find out who your users really are. And the next step is to find your participants, right? If you already have a customer base, you go to them. You could also create a participant profile based on all the assumptions you have about who your customers or potential customers are. And that's a good starting point. Um, I recently read some, somewhere that you should start with um, talking with your happiest customers. I think that's really clever. If you're mm -hmm. starting with customer research, talking to your happiest customers is a great starting point. And so once you have your participants and your purpose, you want to be prepared. And from here, you have a lot of experience, right? Because you do these interviews, you prepare your script, you prepare your guide. And um, yeah, so you take the time to pick your questions right and questions that um, elicit useful responses. So in this mm. sense, you want to be uh, careful about not leading people with your questions um, and give them time to respond and, and elicit, elicit um, deep uh, answers. And for that, you need to ask open-ended questions, not yes and no questions because that will ruin your interview. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, I think the most important thing is just to be prepared to listen. Mm. And are you just send them an email or do you typically just, you know, give them a call and say, hey, I'm, I'm just doing some interviews here. Okay, do you have some minute here? Oh, you want the more practical. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just, sorry, I went. Surprise them. Yeah. <laughs> another, uh, went another, uh, I took another route. Okay, so on the practical side, um, yeah, what we do is when we have our, our list of participants, we send them emails 
Mm-hmm. And we also have a, a forums, we have a Slack community, and we take advantage of that. And so we, what we do is that uh, we prepare a little survey that in the research world is called, is called a screener, which is uh, a survey that, we, that will allow you to um, understand based on the questions if the person that is signing up is the person you want to talk to. Right, so you you prepare that screener and you uh, distribute it via email. We do it via email. We post it on the forums. We share it via Slack in our Slack Balsamic Slack community. And sometimes, just sometimes, we also post it on Twitter. And so, yeah, that's what you do. You create a screener to make sure Mm -hmm. that the people that sign up is the right people that you want to talk to, and and then. Uh, yeah, you distribute it via your channels of preference or where you think those people are. Got it. And just kind of one last follow-up question around this is, um, do you have a typical, you know, framework or strategy used when it comes to, you know, adding value to the interaction you have with these customers? There's certain questions you'd like to ask to make them feel, you know, valued. Um, Obviously in exchange for their time for that user research or even beforehand, like before they even agree to the interview, um, are you offering them something in exchange? Like, hey, we'll give you some, you know, free, you know, credits or you know, dollar amount to your your account, or we'll give you, you know, an Amazon gift card because I've seen that work before, just to get people, you know, more uh, excited to want to do this and, and give you the time. Yeah. Um, okay. So what we try to do is to um, we're always trying to iterate and improve on this. Actually, um, my colleague Laura. Um, she's actively working on this all the time, trying to figure out what's the best way to reward our users uh, for their, um, our participants for their time, um, because we're really, really grateful uh, for their time. So, but like, I guess the, the value, the fundamental aspect of the value here is that we're trying to make Balsamic better for them mm-hmm. and for everyone. And, People are really, really excited about helping. You don't necessarily need to offer them anything in advance. Actually, we don't do it. We tell them, we might give you a thank you gift. We might not. We will give you a thank you gift. But we we never tell them what that gift is. And they participate the same way because people really want to help. People really want to share their expertise and so um, I think the most rewarding thing for them is when they see uh, that they really help improve the product. So one thing we do also to uh, show them how we value their participation is, for example, when we um, ship a feature and the release note, we sometimes uh, add, add their names, the names of the people that help us um, figure out that solution that we just implemented. So we add the names of the people, we, t- we give them credit publicly for the help. Um, we try also to nurture their relationship. Like for example, we have the Balsamic community and we, um, all of us are there and interact with them uh, all the time and try to respond quickly to their needs. And so mm-hmm. this relationship also encourages them to help us when there's an opportunity. The basic thank you gift uh, that we give everyone uh, is 
uh, a code to for our, to our SWAC store, so everyone can come to our SWAC store, and everyone that completes an interview can come to our, our SWAC store and claim price there. Anything it could be anything; it doesn't matter the price. And additionally to that, the most important thing uh, is that um, we keep back to nonprofits based on the number on the number of participants. So for each participant, we donate uh, $25, I think, to two institutions that offer education to disadvantaged people. And so, yeah, that's part of the, every time a user comes to participate in our research programs, we donate to these institutions on their behalf. Nice. Yeah, I love uh, kind of how you know that that structure you guys have. You know, I see you know how you help nonprofits, you help the community, you know, sponsorships, raffles, swag. You have a bunch of stuff of how you give back. So I mean, that's that's fantastic. I know, I, uh, you know, Peldi is, is is a good person to to have that built into his business that a lot a lot of people don't think about, right? So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Cool. Um, so thank you for that, Jessica. Alberto, kind of question for for you before we get into the rapid fire questions, which is around. Metrics. I know this is a thing that you know Balsamic dislikes. You guys don't like measuring anything. Kelly doesn't want to measure, which drives me crazy. Uh, but you know that's it is what it is. <laughs> so I mean, but how how do you know? Like from your side, okay, you know internally, how do you measure some of the metrics? Maybe is you know monitoring for continuous improvement from maybe from you know not not from a like a you know metrics number, but from you know internally that you know things are getting better. Yeah, that's a good question because, um, as you as you said, uh, by speaking with Peldi, uh, we don't. Uh, so uh, metrics usually means numbers, and we don't collect numbers on on user activities. So, like where they click, what, uh, how many projects they like for for how long they work on projects or these kind of things. Mm-hmm. But instead, as just said before, we. Uh, collect we, we talk with users and so we so for us uh um monitoring user activity means uh having qualitative uh data so uh, understanding what they need how they use our products uh, uh how can how can we improve on things um so these are the kind of things uh we focus on uh, for for uh, on our product, and uh, I think that has been um, it has been like that since the beginning. Since uh, Peldi um, worked actively with with users from from day one, um, and so um, we have uh, users that uh, like a pool of users that collaborate uh, collaborate with us more. Uh, more strictly and provide feedback. Uh, we might ask them to try features uh, in advance, or we offer them uh, betas. Um, so I think the, the the idea is that we live close to our customers. We have a great support team, and um, we try to listen um, as much as like the, the best that we can to to, to what they need. And um, uh, that's how we try to to improve on things. Maybe that, like, if we uh, so since I'm a developer, if there is one thing uh, we measure is that when we release a new a new version of the product for cloud users, for instance, mm-hmm. we track uh, new uh, error reports 
Uh, and so since we have a slow um, release cycle, so not all the users have the product uh, right away uh, when we release it. Um, if we see that there are like new errors, then we try to actively fix it before the majority of users are impacted by by this uh, this issue. And so basically, uh, many of them don't even notice that there was uh, a bug. So uh, mm. I think that's uh, still uh, to offer the best user experience uh, possible, right? Got it. So you're still, I mean, you're still gathering or getting back, you know, some kind of feedback in this case would be bugs, but uh, you're not really, you know, tracking the amount and, you know, volume of users usage and then all of the above. Yeah. It's just more of like, okay, how to make the product a little bit better versus, you know, how to get this out to more people to get to use it, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, it I'm makes you nervous. It, it makes me very nervous. So like, you know, I, I love data. I mean, that's how we do all our business. Everything is supported by yeah. data. So uh, nervous, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I know you can do both. I mean, you're, you know, manually talking, you do need to talk to people and not just focus on data, but I think they can support each other if you do it, you know, the right way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. So um, we'll go into the, the fun part of the interview, which is the, the personal kind of rapid fire question. So we'll start with you, Alberto. Um, so every team member I've spoken to about Sandic is all about the pets. And I, you also have it on your website, except you two. So what's going on? Why don't you have a, a Balsamic pet team member, Alberto? <laughs> um, I mean, I'm a dog person, so I, I would yeah. like to have a, a dog. But um, so my, my partner, she she uh, is allergic to everything that has fur. So basically, like, I can't have anything. But um, okay. I would love to have a German Shepherd. Um, but I can. Nice. So. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> you got it. What would you name it? Um, I like like the uh, I don't know Elon Musk or mm, <laughs> Elon Musk, the big shepherd. Nice, I love it. Cool. Um, so you're based in Bologna, right? So obviously known yeah. for amazing food. Uh, if someone was to come visit Bologna, what would you recommend them as a dish that they must try? So two of my favorite things is mm -hmm. um. So tortellini with mm. broth, uh, which is like a filled uh, pasta. Uh, it's filled with pork. Uh, mm. So it's uh, delicious. And um, I would say another thing, uh, that's probably my favorite, actually, uh, which is lasagna. It's probably uh, famous all around the world, like Italian lasagna, but it's actually from, from Bologna. So Nice. That's awesome. Uh, Jessica, how about you? What's, what, why don't you have the, you know, balsamic pet tea member at home? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I mean, um, I think the most, um, I, I have two, two things that I, I want to have a pet, mm. but I, I'm afraid of having a pet because I have two kids and the logistics <laughs> and, and the disaster <laughs> at the house is just, yep. uh, it's not really manageable. I can't, I have to confess I lost control of the house. <laughs> I have to regain it back yeah. before uh, getting a pet. And and yeah, I sure. also have this worry that I love dogs. And if, mm. if I ever have a pet, it will be a dog. Mm. I used to have one when I was um, a teenager. Uh, but I feel like they need space. And I live in an apartment, so I feel like that they will yeah. feel a, a little bit, I don't know, uh, constrained by the space, limited by the space in my apartment. So those are my two reasons for not having a pet. 
right now. <laughs> no, fair enough. Yeah, I live in a, in a two-bedroom condo here and uh, yeah, I've got two dogs and then a daughter. So we're, we're planning to move to a house because yeah, I agree with you that, you know, you just feel like, oh, they need more space and can, <laughs> can, can move around freely. Um, so if you said if you were to adopt a dog or, you know, get a dog, what would you, what would you name it? Wow. I will probably uh, not have the honor of naming it. My mm. sons will probably do it. Okay. Uh, okay. My my son is really into football, into soccer right now. Okay. So he okay. will probably name him, I don't know, or her, depending, Messi or Cristiano mm. <laughs> or something <Nice>. like that. <laughs> uh, so true, I think right. that will probably be that. He is also into Michael Jackson, so he, he could take that. <laughs> turn I like as it. well <laughs> Messi, Cristiano or Michael Jackson love it okay <laughs> all good choices um, if you were to have a, a superpower what would it be and why oh if I okay a superpower well I'm not a really organized person so hmm. I would love to be like uh, this type of people that you know like the I don't know if it is a superpower but the there's this movie where the guy takes a pill and his mind suddenly is capable of organizing all his thoughts <laughs> and he thinks clearly and has all these great ideas. Mm-hmm. I would love to have that superpower. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the power of focus. Maybe that will be the superpowers I will choose to be able to concentrate and focus. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a skill that that that, that, that you know a lot of people lack and it's hard to develop for sure. Um, yeah. I like so question that as around well. It. I think it's yeah. but when uh, when I see my my partner is the thing I love and I like the most about about her like uh, in terms of like work related things is she's able to concentrate so much that mm. she doesn't even hear when you call her. So uh, that's that's insane. I love that. I would love that yeah. superpower. That's a skill, man. Yes. Yeah, it's all about the, the distractions. There's so many distractions these days. It's hard to stay, you know, focused beyond a few. Exactly. Minutes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what What would you say? You know, when it comes to you know the career path, maybe it's a question for both of you. If somebody's looking to join, um, you know, your area of work, uh, you know, professionals looking to become a developer, become you know a UX researcher. Is there any specific skills, you know, whether that's you know software, soft skills, or hard skills they should be thinking about to develop, um, or you know should be looking to to nurture and and you know, uh, educate themselves upon if they want to join your team? Um, I think the most important thing uh, in our li- in our job is to uh, be a great learner. Um, uh, I myself had uh, a, a career change. So I was uh, an accountant before. Uh, and so uh, that was like uh, 10 years ago, maybe more. Uh, but... Um, so I think the most important thing is that the um, joy of of learning and the uh, ability and um, the will the will to to learn new things that is the mm-hmm. most important thing. Uh, you, mm-hmm. you, the most important thing you can you need to have to do this kind of job. Mm. Would you say the same thing, Jess? Yeah, of course. And and in for UX research specifically, you need a lot of listening skills. Um, you need a lot of empathy, especially if you're doing qualitative research. You need that ability of understanding um, how people is uh, reasoning and a lot of problem-solving skills, which I guess is useful for both things, right? Development and design. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I will say those are like the 
essential soft skills that you'll need to get into U.S. research. Mm. Uh, you know, for both of you, what, what motivates you to keep working so hard? You know, if you guys have been, obviously been there for a few years, uh, what keeps you motivated continuously to work with Balsamic? Um, I like what I'm doing. So uh, mm. I think loving the thing you do every day, uh, yeah. it's, it's what motivates you. And um, one thing that I really like about uh, Balsamic is that... Um, and uh, motivates me is that we have a love fest channel in which we put uh, all the success story and like what uh, like uh, customers happy customers say about our products and like mm-hmm. i think feeling connected and feeling that uh, you're helping uh, people um with their their job i think it's uh, it's very rewarding uh, as well nice how about you jessica I mean, what motivates me to work hard is first the people, because I love everyone. Um, a balsamic is a pleasure to work with, and the second thing is there's a lot of um, space and resources and um, for you to keep learning, keep improving, and and that's something that I value a lot. They give you balsamic gives you the resources, the time to learn, and that's something I value a lot. Mm. And User research, it's a passion for me, not just my job. So the fact that I get to do it here, it's really motivating. So those are the three things that keeps me going, I guess. Love it. Love it. Cool. Well, thank you. Thank you, guys. Alberto, thank you, Jessica, for joining the SAS District Show today. Anything you guys want to uh, leave for our audience before we wrap this up? Um, have a great day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Thank you guys so much. If you you guys want to check it out, thank you, Balsamic, for for, introducing guys and letting you guys be on the the podcast. And uh, we'll uh, we'll see you guys later. Thank you, Akil. Thank you for the opportunity. This was fun. It was my first time. So sorry if you have to edit too much. (laughs) (laughs) You guys did great. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you all for watching this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at Horizon Capital and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please comment down below and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and see you on the next one.